Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our study through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 37, and the title of our study is Don't Envy the Wicked. Would you pray with me now? Father, as we come now to your word, we we thank you for the opportunity to examine to explore to learn from this great text of scripture that has so much to teach us lord it is so rich not only in all that it says but in how it applies to our life today so lord as we look at this text today from psalm 37 lord i pray that you would help us that you would give us ears to hear and not only ears to hear but Lord, ears to obey by the work of your spirit in our lives. I pray that you would you would illuminate, that you would open our understanding to your word now, and that we would not only hear the word preached, but that it would land on the good fertile soil of our hearts, and that it would lead us to repentance, it would lead us to greater love and a greater desire to honor the Lord, a greater desire to turn from our sin and to Christ alone, to grow in holiness, to engage in the mission of God, to grow in our discipleship and increase our love and our desire to spur one another on to love and good deeds for your glory. And we just thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to now open your word. And we pray, Lord, uh, we are so thankful for Isaiah 55, 11 that your word will not return without void. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us today. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land of a friend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the delight, as the light, excuse me, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. He will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. 
For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fall. He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And this is a reading of God's holy, precious word. The main application for Psalm 37 is in verse 1, which says, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. We're living in a time when it seems like the wicked are advancing, when they're getting ahead and the righteous seem to be floundering. But we also need to understand that we're not to, that there will be a day appointed by God when he will return. And and on that day, he will right every wrong, justice in the full sense of the word under the, the justice of God will be fully and finally executed. And what this means is we need to trust the Lord in the here and now while we wait for the day of the Lord. And we need to not be like the wicked. We, not, we need to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10:5. We are to hold fast to the word of God in season and out of season. We are to contend for the truth once and for all delivered to the saints. We are to grow to be more like Christ because the Holy Spirit is aiming to take the word that, that we hear and we, we stu- read and study and hear preached. And he's aiming to produce the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And so the worst that can happen to us this side of eternity 
is that we suffer, suffer even the loss of our lives, and yet we have the great reward of heaven because if you are a Christian and you belong to Christ, you will go to heaven. And while it seems like our world is continuing to decline, the Bible is very clear about the fate of the wicked. They will go to hell, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishments. And this is a very real temptation to get discouraged because it only seems like the wicked and, and the way their ways are going well. And we should not let it get under our skin. Because this is a real temptation. It seems like sinful people, they look happy, they look successful, and we wish we could be like them. But we're not like them. If you're a Christian, you have a new heart and you have a new nature and you have new affections and desires for God and you are indwelt by the Spirit. And because you're indwelt by the Spirit, you desire to obey God and keep his commandments as taught in his word, as Jesus taught us in John 14, 15, to obey his commandments. And we count the cost, as Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 through 27, in all of life. And we might be asking ourselves, we might be tempted to think that because the wicked are, are so happy and so successful, we might, be, we might think, where has life gotten me? My friends who do whatever they want are better off than I am. After all, we think being a Christian doesn't pay off in the here and now. And so we become envious of wrongdoers. We see a coworker who gets a, an advancement even though they cheat at work and they're deceitful in their work and they copy and they plagiarize other people. Maybe they play with the numbers, they fudge on the accounting and so on and so forth. And they seem to be climbing up the ladder faster than you. It's hard to admit, but really we're just jealous. We are wondering whether we should start playing that game, whether we should lack integrity in all that we do. See, this is why we need a message like this. This is why we need a text like Psalm 37. We are envious of wrongdoers but the temptation isn't only at work maybe you're retired and your friend isn't a believer he never goes to church they've lived for themselves and they have a huge house and a 401k and the temptation is to think that as you lived your life as you did things that did you do something wrong you're envious of evildoers maybe you're a man and you're wondering if it's if it's really worth working through conflict and dealing with difficult things after you've worked all day to provide for your family. And maybe you're thinking if you have, just, just get a divorce without even any biblical grounds to do so and marry another woman younger than you. Because your friends have done that and they seem happy. You are envious of wrongdoers. Or maybe you're a single woman who wants to get married you have a friend who snagged the perfect guy by sleeping with them, and she is telling this woman that she needs to get out and play the field more. Tell you that you need to get out and play the field more. And you're beginning to think that your friend is right. You're envious of wrongdoers. Or maybe you're a married woman who's struggling with respecting your husband. 
your friend or your sister is sassy and assertive in her marriage. She's worked hard at honoring God by submitting to her husband, but perhaps your friend seems happier than you are. She's wondering whether she's made a mistake. That woman is envious of wrongdoers. These are just some examples to show you that being envious of wicked, of the wicked and how they seem happy and successful. It's a real issue that we all face and we really need to address it with God's word. This is not a hypothetical question or even a theoretical exercise that I'm engaging you in to make you feel bad. Lives are on the line. Marriages are on the line. The temptation is real. Psalm 37 is vital. So we need to ask the question, how can we fight the temptation to envy the wicked? And Psalm 37's goal is to lift up our eyes and to look ahead to the future hope that we have. In fact, God has a glorious future for those who belong to him in Christ. But verse 2 of Psalm 37 says that the wicked will fade like the grass. They might be seemingly thriving today. All is well. They're seeking their own pleasure. But God will uproot them like a gardener pulling weeds. Psalm 37 teaches us to look ahead to the future that God has in store for those who love him. And we can see this when we notice the theme that David repeats five times in this psalm. In verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 22, in verse 29, in verse 34, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. But what does that mean? How does it look to look to the future? This phrase, inherit the land, goes back to the time when Moses led the people to the promised land and God gave the land of Israel as their inheritance as described in Numbers 26, 52 through 56 and Joshua 11, 23. Joshua led the people into the land 400 years before David wrote this psalm. As a nation, they had already received their inheritance. And so David was not thinking of an inheritance because the people were already in the promised land. He's thinking of a better land, their inheritance in heaven. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for an inheritance beyond this world too. Abraham and Sarah were looking for, Hebrews eleven sixteen says, a better country that is a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so if you're a Christian, you are looking beyond this world for your inheritance. The Apostle Peter opens his first letter this way in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Psalm 37, 9 says, Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This is not a reference to how much real estate you have, how many houses you have. David is instead pointing you forward to heaven. In fact, this is what Paul's great longing for was in, in 2 Timothy 4, 8. He's longing for the day. That should be your, your, where your gaze is, looking to the author and finisher of your faith, as Hebrews 12, 1-2 tells you. 
And ultimately, you will not be able to fight the temptation to envy the wicked unless you're looking forward to heaven too. If you're only looking, if you're only looking to the things of this world, to the, as Owen would say, the, the painted glories of this world, the temporal things, the, and accumulating material possessions and wealth and achievements and honor and, and respect from the world, you're going to be powerless to fight this sin. Our Lord Jesus looked ahead to the blessings that God had promised him. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Christ looked ahead when the wicked seemed to be winning, and so he is our example. As a teaching psalm, Psalm 37 contains a number of proverbs that could be standalone. It's also an acrostic poem. It has 22 units that begin with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. And David marks the main transition between the sections of the psalm by repeating his theme, the wicked will be cut off while the faithful will inherit the land. In verse 9, 22, 28 through 29, and 34. And this divides this psalm into five main sections. And while these sections, David gives us five main strategies to fight this temptation to envy the wicked. First, in verses 3 through 9 of Psalm 37, David will tell us to look to God. These verses contain over a dozen commands that center our hearts on the Lord. And four of these commands directly refer to the Lord and appear to be main headings for this section. So first, David tells us to trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust is faith, believing that God's promises are true and that he will always act in accordance with his revealed word. He will never let us down. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you trust the Lord? Isaiah 64, 4 says, From of old, no one, oh, no one is heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Do you trust the Lord? Paul says this in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you trust the Lord? Do you believe the promises of God in the word of God? Do you believe that that Titus 1-2 says that God never lies because that's what it says. Do you believe 2 Corinthians 1-20 that tells you all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ alone? You see, you need to believe the promises of God and put your whole entire, the weight of your entire life on the Lord and on his promises. He will never let you down because God always acts in accordance with his revealed word. And if you trust him, you'll have the strength to obey him and do good. And David also tells us in Psalm 37, 4, to delight in the Lord. When he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, before we're converted, we don't think much of God. We have no desire. We have no appetite for the things of God. He's not beautiful. He's not precious to us if we don't find him satisfying but you see when we're saved god opens our eyes to see his beauty his glory and so then we have then we see for ourselves that god himself is the most attractive and beautiful thing and being in the universe we're overwhelmed by his kindness by his goodness by his power and his majesty psalm 34 8 says we taste and see that the lord is good 
And this is why David says in Psalm 27, 4, One thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God has become the central thing to our life, the most important thing, the treasure of our hearts, the delight of our souls. In him we have everything. And nothing on earth compares to the Lord. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord so that we learn and long for the best of all, namely God himself. We often focus on the second half of this verse, the part about the desires of your heart in Psalm 37 verse 4. But if you see, if we truly delight in the Lord, then, then the one thing we want above all else is God himself. And the good news is in the scripture we we meet God. We learn about who God is and what he's like and what he tells us to do. God has revealed himself in the word of God and that he is enough. That is enough to know the character, the nature of God, the person, the work of Christ and so much more. See, if he gave us the whole world but not himself, we would have nothing. But with him we have everything and we can know him our god is a knowable god because he has revealed himself in the scriptures and so when we envy the wicked the problem is is not that we want things too much our eyes wander away from god and so when that happens we always will find try to find cheap substitutes lesser pleasures things that won't satisfy because ecclesiastes three eleven tells us that god has set eternity on our hearts and we will go we will pursue things cheaper substitutes when we reject god when we're in rebellion against god we will we will pursue idols and these idol an idol is anything in our lives that we attach meaning and value and significance to this is why at the end of his letter in first john uh, john says in first john 5 21 little children keep yourselves from idols and why in proverbs and for example in proverbs 4 23 that above all, that we're to guard our hearts with all due diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so when we envy the wicked, the problem is not that we want things too much. Our eyes wander away from God, and we're satisfied by cheaper substitutes. We are jealous of the wicked because we do not delight in the Lord. Instead, we might delight in our job promotion, our, our pay, our job, uh, our car or a phone call from somebody or something, a, a bigger bank account, a larger house, and the list goes on and on and on. C.S. Lewis nails it when he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He is dead right. Psalm 1611 says that God offers us pleasures forevermore. And what do we do? We seek the lesser pleasure. The lesser pleasure. We would rather be satisfied by our hobby or our work or maybe even our marriage. Rather than first and foremost and supremely by God himself. And what we need to do is to open our eyes to see the beauty and the glory, the kindness and the majesty of God as revealed in scripture. He is far and away the most beautiful, the ho most holy, the most majestic and glorious 
being that we could ever desire. And if the God of the universe gives us himself as he has, and he has revealed himself in his word, and in, which his word tells us about the person and work of Christ, the whole world is ours along with him. But David also tells us in verse 5 of Psalm 37 to commit our way to the Lord. And the word commit literally means to roll. It means to roll the burden of life on the Lord. And that means that you, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, you are to roll your anxiety and burdens and cares on the Lord because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord who cares for you. In verse 6, he says that, before he says that, he says that we're to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humility comes as we recognize who God is. He is glorious. He is majestic. He is above all. He is the supreme. He is to be our supreme delight and, and, our, and our ultimate satisfaction. That is why Psalm 1611, which I quoted earlier, tells us about the pleasures forevermore in the Lord. If you're satisfied by the Lord, you will not desire, you will not seek after the painted glories of, as Owen said, of the world. You will instead seek the superior pleasure and the superior glory that is found in none other than the Lord, as revealed in Scripture. And to close this opening section, David tells us to be still in Psalm 37, 7. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And now some people try to start with this verse and they cannot understand why they find it hard to quiet their hearts and find peace. We can only get to this place by following the path that David has led us down in these verses. We need first to decide that we will trust God and believe his promises we must delight in him. We must commit our plans to him and let him carry our cares and our concerns. And then we'll be able to be still. And, in, and twice in verses 3 through 9 of Psalm 37, it tells us, do not fret. You see, it's easy to get angry when we see a wicked man or a woman who seems happy and successful. We need to be still and refrain from anger, verses 7 through 8 tell us. In fact, there's a lot of practical wisdom here in this psalm, in David's words. An angry man or woman is vulnerable. Anger tends only to do evil, verse 8. Norm Evans was an all-pro tackle for the Miami Dolphins. He was on the famous 1972 team that went 14-0, the only perfect record in NFL history. He learned how important it is to keep your cool. And he says this, It's really dangerous for a pro football player to get angry. In fact, that's when linemen sustain their most serious injuries. Anger is so harmful, he says, in football that if I, if I can get an opposing lineman or end angry at me, he will concentrate on beating me and forget to attack the quarterback. And that's my job, protecting the quarterback. And in the same way, a wide receiver might try to get a defensive back angry. He, if he gets into the DB's head, the defensive back's head, he can fool him on the next play. And Satan's strategy is the same as this, he tries to get in our head. He will tempt us to get angry when we see a godless person with something that we want. They have that achievement, that house, that, that car, and so on. And then he can trick us and catch us. And this is why we need to heed David's counsel, the counsel of the Lord in the revealed word of God. We need to obey it. We need to be still. We need to wait patiently. We need to not get angry. We need to realize that this is not the end of the story, that the Lord is in control of all things. 
And then David ends this first section with a variation of his theme in verse 9, which says that evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And the second strategy that David gives in Psalm 37 is to remember the fate of the wicked. The second strategy is to remember the fate of the wicked. David presents this in Psalm 37, 10 through 22, through a series of contrasts between the faithless and the faithful. And the opening verse of this section sets the tone. It may seem like the ungodly are getting ahead and God's people are getting the short end of the stick. But with the eyes of faith, we know better. Psalm 37, 10 through 11 says, In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus quotes verse 11 of Psalm 37 as one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And in the context of Psalm 37, the meek are patiently waiting on the Lord by faith for God to remove the wicked. See, being meek doesn't mean that you're weak. It takes strength to wait for God to act, and when he does, he will remove every trace of the wicked from the earth, and the meek shall inherit the land. And what are the wicked doing while we wait for God to act? The wicked plot against the righteous, Psalm 37, 12. They aim to lay plans to destroy the people of God. But God only laughs at them, Psalm 37, 13 tells us. The wicked draw their weapons to attack. Verse 14 of Psalm 37 says the wicked draw their sword, but God uses their own weapons against him. Their sword pierces their own heart, Psalm 37, 15 tells us. In fact, if you remember the story, uh, the story of the book of Esther, Haman planned to kill Mordecai on the gallows he had destroy- constructed and destroyed all the Jews. Instead, Haman died on his own gallows. And in verses tw- 16 through 20, the wicked seem to be powerful and wealthy. They have an abundance. They seem secure and strong. But Psalm 37, 18 says the Lord knows the day, the days of the blameless. Notice that. The Lord knows. He's intimately acquainted with the days of the righteous, the blameless. He's not simply mentally aware of the days of of his people like an impartial observer. God fights their battles and he provides for them. When trouble comes, the faithful have an abundance, but the faithless will vanish. Like smoke, they will simply disappear. Too many people would take this verse today, according to the state of theology published by Lifeway Research and Ligonier, and they would suggest today, among in the church, professing Christians, would say that God changes today. That this verse is not true. That God is not interested in us. God does not know. And God is not concerned with us. But this verse clearly says that God knows. The days of the blameless in Psalm 37, 18. God's intimately equated with him. In fact, Hebrews 13, 5 and 9 tell us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We we call this the immutability of God. It means that God does not change. God is not temporal. He's not fickly like us. He's, He's interested in us. This is why Christ has come on the, under the sentence of death to pay the penalty in our place and for our sin. Jesus was born under the sentence of death for us to die, to, to rise. 
And this is good news for us who struggle to wait on the Lord, struggle to trust the faithfulness, the goodness, the beauty and majesty of God. So if you do not look ahead to see the fate of the wicked, you, you can be easily tempted to envy them. But And while many seem so successful and secure, but in just a little while, the wicked will be no more, Psalm 37.10 says. And so David ends this section with a variation of his theme in Psalm 37.22, which says, Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. And the third thing that David says here is that we need to believe that God will bless those who please the Lord. And David summarized this section in Psalm 37, 23, which says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Well, Dave, how can this happen? Well, David gives a personal example from his own experience here. And as a mature man, he's witnessed the hand of providence at work in his own life. In Psalm 37, 25, he says, I have been young and now I'm old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You see, the Lord takes care of his own. And further, this speaks to one of the ways we are especially vulnerable. Many of us would trust God through all sorts of pain and suffering and hardship, but we wonder perhaps about our children. What's going to happen to them? We wonder, will God take care of them? And David ends this section with another variation of his theme verse in Psalm 37, 28 and 29. The children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Now, the fourth strategy that David gives in our passage is, is that we need to trust God to defend us. We need to trust God to defend us. And it, and it seems like the theme of verses 30 through 34 is believing that God will protect his people. The righteous man is wise and just. They walk in the ways of the Lord, as revealed in Scripture. And when the wicked come against them, God is with them. The righteous speaks for God because God's word is in, in their heart. And in return, God stands up to speak for them and will not allow them to be condemned. You see, you can count on God to take your side and to lift you up. Psalm 37, 34. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on uh, when the wicked are cut off. Now, fifth, David asks us to consider the evidence. One of the problems when we envy the wicked is that we only see what we want. And David wants us to see and to understand real life. Psalm 37, 35, and 36 states this from his personal experience i have seen a wicked ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree but he passed away and behold he was no more and though i sought him he could not be found and then in verse 30 uh, 37 of psalm 37 he tells us to take notice of what god does for those who love him when he says mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace if you're a christian you have seen people in your world that are like this and god has a future for the godly the bl the one blameless man we should mark verse 37 of course is our lord jesus he is the only man who never sinned he was truly blameless he suffered at the hands of sinners under the sentence of and they crucified him the most cr the gruesome way to die but his but behold this upright man now behold christ God raised him to life and seated him at the right hand of glory. 
Jesus was the ultimate man of peace, and God gave him the future and everlasting kingdom that will never pass away. So if you're tempted to envy the wicked, you need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You need the gospel. You might be a teenager who wants to fit in, and so you accommodate to the world and to peer pressure. But, and you also might be sing, single. You might be married. You've been walking with the Lord in obedience to His revealed will in Scripture. But you see others who are happy and successful, who are in rebellion against the Lord. And you're tempted to, to pursue their lifestyle, tempted to compromise, tempted to pursue worldliness. But to do so is to dishonor our Lord. As James tells us, the love of the world uh, causes us to grow cold. And the love of the world is enmity. It's, it's the world is at war with God. Because behind the world is, the, the plans of the world is, is Satan. And what Satan wants to do is deceive and steal and destroy. And what Christ wants to do is give life and life uh, abundantly in and through his, the person and work of Christ. And this is why we don't need to be envious. Because you know what? The worst that can happen in, the worst that can happen in this life, because if we're in Christ, the worst that can happen is we die. And we go to be with the Lord in heaven. So we should not be envious of those who seem to have more than us. They seem to be going up the ladder, the corporate ladder, faster than us. They seem to be uh, more well off they seem to have more abundance than us we need to look to christ if you're in christ your life paul says in colossians 3 is hidden with christ in god your future is with the lord he is coming to judge the living and the dead if you're a christian through him god has given you an inheritance in heaven stand fast in christ first corinthians 15 1 through 8 clearly tells us that he is holding us fast and we are to stand fast in Christ keep looking keep trusting you if you're a Christian Romans 8 31 through 39 clearly tells you that you are kept by the sovereign hands of a sovereign God of grace and that's an amazing thing but it also means something if you're not a Christian if you're pursuing materialism, you're pursuing your life for your own way and for your own glory, you must repent and believe and put your hope and trust in Christ alone. In Acts 16.31, it tells us to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. That's, that's true for you. If you are pursuing this world, if you're pursuing the accomplishments and the pleasures of this world apart from God, that's that and you're seeking to be happy and satisfied by the world and by your job and your accomplishments and even your education don't you know that ecclesiastes 3 this this man who was given the gift of wisdom and knowledge solomon he said that all is vanity in grasping for the wind here's a man who had everything all the world's gold all the accomplishments of the world world's leaders were coming to him for guidance and wisdom because of his God-given gift. And he says that all is vanity and grasping for the wind. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says in chapter 12 that we're to fear God and to keep his commandments. 
which is the same thing that Jesus says in John 14, 15, when he says that we are to obey the commandments of God. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, that the, that, that the commandments of God are not burdensome, that his yoke is light. If you have come to faith in Christ, that's true for you. Because Romans 5 tells you that you have the peace of God that is that has made you right with God. You have the righteousness of God imputed to you by faith in his name. If you do not and have not come to faith in Christ, you do not have the imputed righteousness of God. And you have no warrant to believe that you will make it into heaven. You have no warrant to believe that you will enter into the pearly gates of the celestial city, as John Bunyan would talk about it in the Pilgrim's Progress. You have no hope and no real, you have no assurance that you will go to heaven. And yet for the Christian, they have all the assurance and all the hope that because of what Christ has done, what he said in John 19.30, it is finished and the veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom, they have all the hope in the world because of Christ. And so, dear Christian, understand today that while our world pursues its its fleeting pleasure, it is only momentary. And the treasures that you have in Christ, the rights and the privileges that are yours because of Christ, Christian, are infinitely greater than anything that the world could ever give you, whether it's promotion, whether it's more money, whether it's more education or accomplishments, and that all these things are vanity and grasping for the wind in light of eternity. That is why we have work to do. We are not to be envious of the wicked. All they have is is now. And yet we have something both now because of Christ, and yet in the future, when Christ returns and Christ fully establishes his kingdom, we have something infinitely greater. And that is we have Christ. You see, even even if, see, without Christ in heaven, heaven would not be a place of hope. Some of you are pursuing just the world you're pursuing your job and you're pursuing things of of life more than you're pursuing christ and honoring him in all things now and you're envious of the wicked because your focus is on the wrong thing you're focusing only on the here and now and yes we have work to do and our work is to be done with excellence all for the glory of god we are to work hard Nobody is saying otherwise, especially me. But our ultimate hope, our ultimate desire isn't for this life. And to, and to end with the most accomplishments and the most money and the most houses and the most possessions. The aim and goal of our life as the Westminster Confession of Faith begins. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what Psalm 1611 is is offering us pleasures forevermore in the Lord. That is why the psalmist continues to talk about the desires of our hearts and whether they're aligned with the revealed will of God in Scripture or not. Many of you might treat the, many Christians do, in my experience, 
treat the will of God as a mystical thing. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, the will of God is for your sanctification. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, that the will of God is for you to be thankful in Christ Jesus. That's the will of God, to grow to be like Christ, to grow in thankfulness to God. That is the clear, definitive word of God speaking to you, telling you, you wonder what the will of God is. It's for you to grow to be like Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 tells you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus because if you're united to Christ by faith in his name, you are in union with him. You are communing with, you are to commune with the Lord. You are to grow up in him. And part of growing up means not being envious of those who are more successful than you, seem to be happier than you, have more accomplishments, have more kids, and so on and so forth, and material possessions. If that's you today, dear Christian, I urge you to do what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why? Because Jesus is, as John says in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, our advocate before the Father. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 invites us to the throne. God invites us not to a throne of condemnation, but to a throne of grace. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, if anyone is Christ, is in Christ, there's, there's no longer under condemnation. That means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are invited not to a throne of condemnation, but to a throne of grace, dear Christian. To know that the peace of God that passes all understanding, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 8. Because that peace is yours, Romans 5 tells you. And it's becoming, Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 8. It's becoming more real because you now are indwelt by the Spirit. And the Spirit is taking the truth that you hear that you read and study in the Word of God. And He's making it more precious and more real in your life so that you'll treasure Him and honor Him in all of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, that it is not only sufficient as for our life and for our godliness, but we thank You, Lord, that it's binding in our lives, that it, it teaches us and instructs us in the way in which we are to go. So, Lord, if we are envious of the wicked, may we repent and may we understand that we have a superior pleasure that you offer something greater, something more infinite, something infinitely greater than any worldly possession, any worldly entrapment can offer us. And, Lord, may we be satisfied not by, as Owen said, the painted glories of the world, but by the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And may we call sinners to repent of being satisfied by a lesser pleasure than the pleasure of God in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. 
If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org. 